They called the man who had been blind, and they said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man, this Jesus, is a sinner. He answered, I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you to be here in this place with us now. And we trust that you have kept your promise and are here in our midst. May my words now be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Last week, we talked a little bit about the judgment and wrath of God. Fun, right? How is it, outside of Christ, we talked about, that God's wrath is stored up for all those who would reject his lordship? We talked about some of the ways that God's judgment is poured out on sin in the world. We talked about the flood, about Sodom and Gomorrah, and about death. In general, though it's perhaps understandably not the most popular or pleasant theme in the world, it is a theme that is particularly appropriate to Lent, this season we are celebrating now, during which we remember Jesus' earthly temptation to sin and to give the Father's rightful lordship over to Satan. Remember his temptation in the desert. More specifically, though, in Lent, we remember his successful and faithful resistance of that temptation, culminating in Holy Week, his bearing of the wrath of God that we deserved on his own shoulders. That's the Good Friday story of judgment and wrath, the judgment of wrath writ large on a cosmic scale, the sin of the whole world. This week... In John chapter 9, we are assigned a story that considers the wrath and judgment of God in the life of an individual sinner. This story, the healing of a man born blind, has, I think, two points to make to us, at least two points that we're going to consider this morning. First, that at least as a normal principle, God's wrath and judgment are poured out on sin in general, rather than on a sinner for a sin, specifically. Of course, we know that God can and did pour out his wrath in specific ways, like we talked about last week, wiping Sodom and Gomorrah off the map, striking Ananias and Sapphira dead. But in general, the suffering in this world comes because the world has been judged as sinful. Not so much because you committed a particular sin. And we'll say more about that in a second. The second point that this passage has for us is how the wrath of God might be satisfied. How his judgment could be extinguished, quenched. And this is the good news of Jesus Christ. That he bore the sins of the world and that he bore your particular sins So that in him, there is now no condemnation, no judgment or wrath, even for a sinner 
like you. So that's where we're going to end up. The bad news about God's judgment, that it does exist and is indeed poured out on the world, and the good news that it is put away in Christ. So let's turn to the text and consider this particular story. In John 9, where we find ourselves this morning, let's look back just a second to what happened right before. Jesus has just been run out of the temple, stoned, actually, for claiming to be God. Well, technically, he only claimed to have existed before Abraham. But of course, in Jesus's special way, he decides to poke the bear just a little bit by using the name of God to make the claim. Before Abraham was, I am, says Jesus in the temple. This is a clear divinity claim. Before Abraham was, I am. And so the people freak out and throw stones, chasing him away. And it's in this context that we find him, as the text says, passing by or walking along and coming across a man who is blind from birth. And John, of course, makes sure to mention clearly and on several occasions that the man is blind from birth so that nobody can try to claim that he just has some temporary problem with his eyes and that what's coming isn't a legitimately miraculous healing. So a man, blind from birth, crosses paths with Jesus. And this brings up a question for his disciples. Who sinned, they ask? Who's responsible? Whose fault is it that God's judgment and wrath is being poured out? Was it him? Was it his parents? We know somebody sinned. We know God judges sin. This man is clearly being judged. On whose account is God's wrath being poured out here? But Jesus confounds them. No one sinned, he says. He was born blind so that God's works might be revealed in him. And here we come to our first important point about this passage. Jesus teaches here that earthly affliction, at least some of the time, is not the result of particular sin. Now, affliction is the result of general sin. In other words, affliction of any kind exists in this world because this world is a sinful and broken place. But your sinful actions do not necessarily result in your afflictions. But the disciples' question is totally understandable, right? The idea that sin causes affliction is the default position of all generic religion, isn't it? Pagans everywhere, throughout the world and throughout time, both ancient and modern, believe this. We often believe it ourselves. You do bad, you angered the gods, and now you're suffering for it. This is what Job's friends thought, for instance, that he must have done something wrong to be suffering in the way that he was. 
This is what you'll sometimes hear on the news. Some preacher is interviewed claiming that such and such hurricane struck Haiti as a judgment for their practice of voodoo. Or there was that Instagram video recently where Ellen DeGeneres was filming herself in the rain next to an overflowing river claiming that whatever storm she was experiencing was the result of us making Mother Earth very angry. Now, it's worth clarifying something here. I'm not saying that God can't do that kind of thing. And again, he has done that, literally that, in fact, wiping the earth clean with a flood. But the witness of this story is that Jesus teaches clearly that this man's suffering is not brought on by any sin that he had committed, nor was it brought on by the sin of his parents. Wouldn't life be easier if it was, though? I mean, are you with me here? Tell a lie, grow a wart. (laughs) Kill a man, get hit by a car. Cheat on your taxes, come down with lupus. It would be easier to tell who the sinners are, wouldn't it? And in addition to that, there would be a tried and true method for avoiding affliction in your life. Just don't sin. We'd never again have to answer the why do bad things happen to good people question. Bad things would only happen to bad people. Of course, we betray ourselves by even having that thought. The desire for specific sins to merit specific worldly punishments is evidence that we think of sinners primarily as other people and sins as primarily things other people do. Wouldn't it be good, we think, if liars grew a long nose like Pinocchio? Then we could tell who the liars are. Of course, we forget all the while that it is our own noses that would grow and grow and grow. And so that is the first thing we learned this morning, that Jesus teaches about this man born blind. Particular suffering in the world doesn't necessarily come from particular sin because we are all particular sinners. We are sinners both because of Adam and Eve and the world they have given us, and we are sinners like Adam and Eve through our own regular participation in a sinful life. Thus, the whole world is under judgment. We all suffer together. To sum up, although we are not necessarily caused to suffer by our individual sins, the world and everyone in it is justly judged and condemned for sin, both corporate and individual. And that's the bad news. And boy, is it bad. In Romans chapter 8, St. Paul says that all of creation is groaning to be set free from this bondage to sin. But now into this bad news, Jesus speaks. There is going to be freedom. Jesus has come. And indeed, it's this next part of the story in which the news gets good because Jesus heals the man born blind. But not only that, then the man turns and begins to proclaim the good news about Jesus to those around him. And this is the second thing that this text teaches us this morning, how the judgment of God is reversed. Or more accurately, how it is born by another. 
our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we get this good news sort of in a roundabout way. We get it because this man is required again and again to explain himself. And John makes sure to tell us this whole story. This healing occurs on the Sabbath as we read. And healing was considered work. And since it's against the law to work on the Sabbath, the Pharisees launched this investigation trying to get Jesus in trouble. And it's this investigation, as sort of ham-handed as it seems, that makes our story longer and more detailed, but ultimately clear about what exactly the good news is. The Pharisees call the man before them and question him, and finally just ask him, what do you say about this man who healed you? The man calls Jesus a prophet. But they're not satisfied, these Pharisees, so they go track down the guy's parents just to be sure that he was really blind from birth. They suspect some trick. But the guy's parents do, in fact, confirm that he was blind from birth, and they don't want to have any part of this investigation. They're worried that it might reflect badly on them, so they send the Pharisees right back to their son. He's old enough. Ask him your questions. And convinced... That because he did work on the Sabbath, that Jesus is a sinner. And remember, they think they know him to be a sinner because of his recent blasphemy at the temple. Before Abraham was, I am. The Pharisees tell the man who used to be blind to glorify God by distancing himself. From Jesus. And it's here that the man utters one of my favorite biblical quotations. I do not know whether he is a sinner. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. This man can't tell them about whether or not Jesus should be allowed to perform a healing on the Sabbath. He may not have known anything at all about Jesus other than this one thing. All he knows is that now he can see after having spent his whole life in the dark. This is the grace and mercy of Jesus. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, We read in Psalm 23, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You spread a table before me in the presence of those who trouble me. You have anointed my head with oil and my cup is running over. Surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This man was in the dark, literally, in the valley of the shadow of death. And now, on account of Christ, he can see. Light has come, his cup is running over, and he can think of nothing else. One thing I know, only one, though I was blind, now I see. For the Christian, for you and me, Because of the gospel, the dark, either literal or metaphorical, is 
only survivable because we know that the light has come. We can make it through the days in this place, in this world, in this valley of the shadow of death, only because we have heard the good news about Jesus Christ, the announcement that our sins have been forgiven, that we have been redeemed, that our lives have been made new. The judgment and wrath of God on this sinful world. The reason that we find ourselves in the valley of the shadow of death has been overturned. Or better, like I said, born, carried by another. The same hands that made the mud that was spread on this blind man's eyes will be pierced for his transgressions. His transgressions and yours. Last week, we read the story of the woman at the well. Now, she too had been living her life in the dark. Metaphorical this time, the, the dark of sexual and relational sin. Only to see the light upon meeting Jesus. And remember at the end of that story how she went back to her town after her interaction with Jesus. And she said, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. These two people, this woman at the well and this man born blind, have these revelatory interactions with Jesus, and they come out saying pretty much the same thing. More accurately, of course, they come out not exactly knowing what to say, other than that this guy has got something going on. <coughs> There's something about this Jesus. Come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. And I don't know whether he is a sinner. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. Now, neither you nor I have come across the incarnate Jesus as we walk down the street like this blind man. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth. But his power by the Holy Spirit is still totally at work in this world. The formerly blind man's words still ring true for us. Though I was blind, now I see. Amazing grace. We're going to sing at the end of our service this morning. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now and found, was blind, but now I see. And what is it that has opened our eyes? Not Christ walking down the street, spitting on the dirt, making mud and rubbing it on our faces, but his living word, the Holy Bible, every jot and tittle breathed out by Christ himself that tells us everything we've ever done. Here, for example, is the Apostle Paul speaking for Jesus, telling me everything I've ever done. This is from the seventh chapter of Romans. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. 
What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? These are Paul's words. They might as well be in my mouth. I find myself so described by this passage. I feel just like the woman at the well. I want to run back to my village and say, come and read a book that told me everything I ever did. Come, learn about Christ and his good news, which knows the truth of the human experience, but better than that, has an answer to the terrible problem of humanness. A way out of the valley of the shadow of death. Come and meet Jesus. Jesus, who is God for us, who is for those of us who can't do the good things we wish we could do, who can't be as selfless with our children as we'd like to be, as good a spouse as we'd hoped to be, a sufficient a provider as we need to be. Meet Jesus, who knows everything you ever did, and who then says, I have come for the sick, for the blind, for the sinner. The healthy have no need of me. St. Paul's words that we heard last week in conjunction with the woman at the well bear repeating today. In fact, we rehearse this good news in one form or another every single Sunday, every time we come together. You see, says Paul, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. He says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is Jesus who comes to you, recognizing your problems. You are blind. You are an adulterer. You are a liar. You are selfish. You covet what your neighbor has. You are a sinner. He comes recognizing your sin and offering you salvation in your weakness. This is the Jesus we believe in. This is the Jesus we worship. This is a Jesus who knows everything you ever did. And God Almighty sent this Jesus, his perfect son, to redeem you. When you are at the end of your rope, where you are all the time, you can submit to the living word of Jesus Christ. Because you might not know much, but one thing you do know. You once were blind, and now you see. This Jesus has come, and he has come to you to take you out of the valley of the shadow of death to restore your sight, and to give you life everlasting. Amen.